Hi there, this is a Radiance Tape Quick Cassette production, a teaching by Jim Durkin called The Fear of God Versus the Fear of Death. It was recorded at the Prince of Peace Chapel on September 21, 1975. Praise the Lord. The subject matter that I'm going to deal with today, I've been a little tossed in my mind as to how to develop the theme, only because I don't think it's possible to do it in one message. The reason I don't think it's possible to do it in one message is because in this particular subject that I'm going to deal with, there is either a very good understanding, which most people give no thought to, or there is no understanding at all, in which case you'll have to give plenty of close attention or you won't really hear the message at all. Now, for a number of years, as a young minister of the gospel, my whole experience of serving God, as far as the minister is concerned, was in the church. That was not only true of my ministry, but that which led up to the ministry. Before that time, I'd had no real experience with the church except a few services I attended during the war and things of this nature, which I suppose are like many of us. And then my experience in the church was only based on seeing what others were doing and beginning to imitate that. Well, that's a common thing. It's how most of us learn. But it's not the best source of learning. The best source of learning, of course, is the one that we've laid out to you on many occasions, and that is to read the Word and practice the Word, especially in connection with someone who will take you by the hand and show you how to practice the Word. Well, most people in churches of the kind that I have been associated with the one thing they do not do is read the Word. They may read, like the 23rd Psalm, they'll have a favorite psalm. They may read a passage or two or a chapter in John. That will be their, their favorite. Or they will have some other favorite, which is theirs, and they'll read this over quite a bit. They will know a few scriptures which particularly emphasize the doctrinal position of their particular church. But there's one thing that can be said of most Christian people as a whole. They do not know the Scriptures. And they do not know the power of God. They have not walked in such a way that they have experienced the power of God. They have never taken the time to approach the Word of God as an absolutely ignorant person before God. They come with prejudices. They come with already rigid conclusions about life. And they demand, although they would not say that, but I tell you it is true, they demand that the Word of God conform to their convictions. I have had many people and when I say many, I mean many hundreds of people over a lifetime of ministry. When I would say, but the Word of God says, they'd say, I don't care, I believe that. And that was it. You could not convince them or get them to look at or think about life on any other terms than what they believed. I pondered about this much. It disturbed me in my early ministering experience, now not my early Christian experience, but my early ministering experience when I was forced to read the Word of God for myself to come up with, quote, sermons. I did study the Word of God, but I came up against all kinds of things that seemed to be contradictory to the things that I was practicing and learning and doing. And when I asked people about these things, I ran up against such stiff opposition. I believe, and you better not, and we're telling you this church has always, and therefore you, that I quickly slipped into the reason for preaching the way that was acceptable. Now, most of you that are here are what we would call young people. You yet have the capacity to adapt, so also the older people, but it's much more difficult for older people to adapt. 
much more difficult for me to adapt than 20 years ago. The reason is, I have been wounded so many times in my life. There are areas and memories and pains out of my past that if I come up against that same thing again, I do not want to be hurt like that. And so I begin to allow, if I'm not careful, and God forbid that it should happen to me, because then it will be so according to what the Scripture says, better a wise and poor son than an old and foolish king who will no longer be, what? Admonished. No longer allow himself to be pained by one who would say, Brother, don't you think that? Or don't you see the word really says? Or don't you... I say, don't say that to me. I know what I'm doing. I've been living for 40, 50 years, 60 years. I've been serving God for 30. I know this book. I know my way. I know how to run the opera. I know how to... Old and foolish king who will no longer be admonished. Now, God forbid that it should happen to me, and God forbid that it should happen to you. And if you sit here and you're in your 30s and 40s and 50s, if it's already happened to you, my prayer would be that God will once again open you up and make you like a stripling that you may hear and be changed. Now, if you'll turn with me to John, the eighth chapter, you see why I say this is a kind of a heavy kind of a thing, because it deals very directly with the deepest part of people. It's going to be painful. It's painful for me to think about it. Now, in the 8th chapter of John here, 19th verse, he's contending with some people. Then said they unto him, Where is thy father? Jesus answered, Ye neither know me nor my father. If ye had known me, ye should have known my father also. He said, You don't really know me, because if you had known me, you would have known my father. These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and ye shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, you cannot come. Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself, because he saith, Whither I go, ye cannot come? And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath. In other words, you're conformed to this world. And the Bible warns us about being not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the what? The renewing of your mind. All right, now that simply means, we take it in its simplest form, and I hope you do, that this world has put a lot of things into my mind that seem right in the limited context of this limited world. For instance, if I were to say the shortest distance between two points is a straight line, everyone would say, man, that's right, that's right, that's right. How do you know that's right? Well, everybody knows that. How do you know it? Well, man, every, well, it's obvious. How do you know that? Because I tell you, it's not true. See? Any geometer will tell you the surfaces of the earth are curved. And the shortest distance between two points on the earth is not a straight line, but a segment of that arc. See? But it's so in our minds. No, it ain't. We say, oh, I didn't know that. See, then as soon as you know it, in a sense of the word, if we're taking a natural thing, your mind is renewed, and henceforth, someone says, shortest distance between two points, oh, no, you say, wait a minute now, that's not true. Why, everybody knows that. See, here these people were conformed to this world. He said, you're from beneath. You think like that. Your mentality works like that. Your mind is stuffed with the world. And you won't open it up that it may be cleansed, purified, transformed, new thoughts enter it, new patterns for living. No, you are in this limited context of the world. That's where you stay. All right? Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world. I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. If ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? And Jesus saith unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning, I have many things to say, and a judge of you. But he that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. See, that's where his source of information came from. 
he did not mouth the platitudes and the wisdom of the world. His wisdom was from above. His information was from above. His truth was from above. Now, I lay out to you the absolute importance that you be not conformed to this world in anything, but you be transformed by the renewing of the mind that you might be conformed to the image of God's Son. See, that's what we want. I don't want to be like this world. Not in any point whatever. I am not of this world. You are not of this world if you have received Jesus Christ. Your citizenship is not of this world. Your citizenship is in heaven from whence also we look for our Savior. That's where we are. You're not of this world. But then if we are not of this world, we must not think like this world. We must not act like this world. We must not speak like this world. That they said of our Lord Jesus, no man ever spake like this man. My prayer would be that Jesus' body, you, now you are the body of Christ, the members in particular, my prayer would be that you speak in such a way that it will not be one man speaking, but a hundred, a thousand, a million men speaking, and them saying, we never heard things like this before. Because you don't speak like the world. You speak like that world, which is to come. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I can do nothing of myself. Now please notice that very important statement he makes. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. He said, I have no earthly knowledge. Now I didn't mean he didn't know that this is the ground and that sky and this is... I'm not talking about that. We're talking about those things that matter. That deep moral knowledge. That understanding of the real purpose of life. That understanding of why you're alive and what you're doing and where you're moving to and what it's all about. That's what he's talking about. And he said, I don't speak things that are just platitudes of the world. I hear my Father. And when I hear him, then I speak. I can do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Now, I want to emphasize, I do always those things that please him, which then meant he must know what it was that pleased the Father, right? He knew, and he did it. All right. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. Now some heard the word and said, We believe that this is the Christ. We believe this is the Son of God. We believe. Now he said, Do you believe? Yes, Lord. Then he said, He spoke to those which believed, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples. Indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Did you understand that up to now? Okay. Let me read it again. They believed on him. We believe you, Lord. He said, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples. Indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. All right, now. Let's turn over to the book of Hebrews for just a moment. And we want to take a look at our Lord here. And this will be the fifth chapter of the book of Hebrews. I think we'll start with um, verse 4. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee, as he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, now we come to the part that you must hear, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, speaking about Jesus now, with strong crying and tears, 
unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he, what's the word? Feared. Strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, and not just a son, the son, the only begotten son of God. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Now the word is learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Here's Jesus speaking later to other people. He said, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. But right before it, he said, I do always those things that please him. But yet here it is, says he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. So there also then was a discipling process in the life of Jesus. And what kind of a process? A process that caused suffering. See, this crazy mentality that is now possessing the church, that if we walk with the Lord, all balmy breezes, all rose-strewn paths, all rest stops along the way, that is not the truth. Some disciples came to Jesus one time, I believe they sent their mother to him, James and John, and said, let it be so that when you come into your kingdom, one of us shall sit on your right hand and one of us shall sit on your left hand. The mother pleaded with Jesus for that. He turned to them and he said, you do not know what you ask for. Are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I baptized with? Are you able to drink of the cup that I drink? We are able, they said. What fools! They did not understand. He said, you will be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. And you will drink of the cup that I drink. But to give it to you, one on my right and one on my left, I cannot do. That's reserved for them who the Father gives it to. What kind of baptism was he talking about? Was he talking about baptism in water? Well, now that on the surface of it becomes rather foolish. Because he said, are you able to be baptized with a baptism that I'm to be baptized with? Well, baptism in water. Said, well, sure, maybe that's what they thought. I don't know. Well, sure, that's no problem. We saw you got baptized by John, and uh, we can do that. Or are you something that was the Holy Spirit? Well, that's not. That's... Tremendous. Suddenly you break out glorifying and praising the Lord in a way that's never possible by natural means. Holy Spirit comes upon you, loosens your tongue, causes you to speak with tongues of men and angels. Your spirit expands and you're carried into the heavenlies and you begin to praise Him like marvelous. He wasn't talking about that. He was talking about what I sometimes call a third baptism, although that's just a coin phrase. He's talking about the baptism of suffering. All who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. No way to escape it. All, the Bible says, our Lord Jesus said, I do those things always that are pleasing in His sight. He learned obedience by the things which He suffered. Don't think He didn't go through pain as a boy growing up. Don't think he didn't go through pain before he came to those 33 years. Don't think he wasn't misunderstood, laughed at, mocked, scorned, thought to be a fool far out. And so painful did the process become that the Bible says he cried out with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and he was heard in that he feared. Well, now that's a far cry from the mentality of today's religiosity. A far cry from the churchianity of today, which no negative sermons are to be preached, no negative words are to be used, no strong language is to be used, no stern warnings are to be given. All just floating along 
toward heaven. While our Lord Jesus Christ learned obedience by the things which he suffered, we don't learn obedience and we don't suffer. That's our mentality. But I pray to God that it be not so among you. I pray to God that you become exactly what the Bible says you are to become, warriors, soldiers. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please whom who hath called him to be a good soldier. Now he said in another place, the soldier endures hardship or hardness. Well, don't lay it on me heavy because, see, I'm, I'm just kind of a slow grower. Let me tell you something. You're in a war to the death. And I want to tell you that Satan is out to kill you, cripple you, mutilate you, make you useless, destroy you any way he can. And what God has called us to do is to pick up the sword of the Word of God and the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, our loins girt about with truth, our feet shed with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and to enter into war. We're talking about war. We're talking about fear. We're talking about suffering. We're talking about crying. We're talking about tears. Now, you see, that's why I said one message on this will not be enough. But let us see a little bit how the Word of God deals with a word that I want to come to. He was heard in that he feared. I want to talk about the fear of God. And then I want to talk about the fear of man. And then I want to talk about fear generally. And then I want to speak about the fear of death. Because I wish to tell you that this world, you and I, will be controlled by one kind of fear or the other. We'll either be controlled by the fear of death, which is the devil's brand of fear, particular way I'm going to develop it here, what the Word of God has to say. Or we will be controlled and ultimately set free through the fear of the Lord. And both of them are very real fears, and Paul and Jesus and the Old Testament saints dealt with it both ways. They talked about the fear of the Lord was clean, enduring forever. Now that means it's going to be on the other side of heaven too. That means when I stand before God, the fear of the Lord will be a very real thing there, though I won't experience it in the sense that the normal concept of fear would be there. Very real, just the same. And the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I need that fear in my heart. I need that fear when Satan comes to me, and he does. I don't know if I'm important enough for him to waste his time on me personally. That's not the point. But that spirit which comes. Whichever angel it is fallen, whichever demonic spirit it is that keeps trying to lead me astray, and something takes my mind and says, look at that, isn't that good? I want there to come up inside my breast a four-letter word. F-E-A-R, fear. I want that to move inside of me. Say, oh God, no. Keep me. I want to know when my flesh is being stirred and I'm pulled this way, that there's a God who cares enough to speak out of eternity into my time slot and say, James Durkin, no! And I want to say, thank you, Father. That shook loose so that that hypnotic something that I was... God broke it. I said, oh, thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. See, the fear of the Lord is clean enduring forever. Take that out of the hearts of people. And I tell you something, the first time a good strong wind comes along, we just get... and we're gone. Now let's see how it's dealt with here. I have here a Knave's Topical Bible. I'm just going to take a few scriptures. All it does is bunch scriptures together. And I'll just give you a few here. Turning to the subject, fear of God. And I'm going to deal with the idea of guilty fear, what it produces. 
This is found in Genesis 35.5, and they journeyed. I think you should just follow me, because I'm going to move very quickly here. You'll have no time to really follow it in the Bible. Genesis 35.5, and they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. Now, notice that word, the terror of God. You see, that's kind of gone out of our thinking today. Our religious thing, we oh, God is just up there, just exuding love. Of course he is. God can never do anything other than love. But our mentality, we have a fouled up idea carefully put into our minds by the devil. We have a fouled up idea of love. That love will always be saying, Oh, Jimmy, sweet little boy, I just love you so much that I... I know you're doing the wrong thing, but I just just going to keep exuding on you like this. <laughs> the Bible tells us that a father who does not face in his son when he needs it hates his child. Hates him. The Bible says when God chastens you, be thankful to God that he's doing it because it shows you that you're not a bastard. You're a true son. He's taken you into his arms and he's beginning to correct you and move you into that slot of eternity that will conform you to his beloved son. Oh, I want to be like Jesus. And if he has to wail the daylight out of my tail, then Lord, get it on. Hallelujah. The fear of the Lord is a very real thing. Here it talks about the terror of God. I'm going to tell you he scared the wits out of those people in those cities. And they didn't weren't about to get up and go chasing after Jacob. He scared them witless. And I want to tell you something. You always say, well, that's the Old Testament. Well, the New Testament deals with it exactly the same way. It says it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Another place has said New Testament, our God is a consuming fire. And he's warning the saints to walk it straight. Our God is a consuming fire. Another place, Jesus himself said, I tell you, him whom you shall fear. You do not fear him that can destroy the body, and when he's done it can do no more. You fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's fearful. Well, you see, the purpose of it is to create a, an atmosphere. Now let me read on here a little bit. We'll go over maybe to the New Testament. That's the most thing that most of us read, and that's right, and we should stay there. Acts thirteen sixteen. Then Paul stood up and beckoned with his hands, said, Ye men of Israel, and ye that fear God, give audience. 26 verse. Whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. Romans eleven twenty. Be not high-minded, but fear. 2 Corinthians 7, 1, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, we sometimes have taken that and we said, well, that's just a kind of reverential fear. Well, certainly that's right on. But reverential fear means that same fear that a child will have with a godly father that's a man of integrity and honesty and love in the sense that he can understand it, that will say to his son, and that respect is so great, Say, don't do that. It is not right. And if you do, then I must deal with you. And that son can be 50 miles away or 100 miles away and start to do something, and he'll hear that voice across the mile saying, don't do that, or I must deal with you. That's reverential fear. It's the fear that keeps me clean. It's the fear that preserves me. When all around me, everything is coming down on me, and my mind is out of it, I can't think, I can't deal with it. My mind is blown. My emotions are frightened. My spirit may be weak. But across the avenue of eternity comes that glorious voice, No! I first heard it years ago. I spoke it, but I heard it. The same moment that I spoke it, I heard it. And maybe the same moment I heard it, I spoke it. I don't know which. But I was going through something at that time. Don't even remember what it was, but I know that it was a hell within me. And I know that I felt myself weakening. I prayed to God for deliverance, and there seemed to be no deliverance. 
Now, God was going to show me something. He was showing me I had to listen to that voice and hear that voice, learn to hear it in the midst of all that jangle and confusion that goes on in this world. And I felt myself after pressure after pressure going down the drain. I felt myself literally weakening physically, mentally, every other way, just like I give up. I want to tell you from somewhere deep inside me, it was the most thrilling and glorious experience. I can remember to this day, there came something up inside me, and it was a voice. It came out of eternity. I thank the Heavenly Father to this day. I can still hear it and still remember it. And it was just one word. And you know what the word was? No! And the minute that I heard that voice, my lips spoke it out, and I said, no! And it simply broke the power. And it never returned. It was finished. I heard it. And I tell you, when I sat there after having said it out loud, just right out in the room, brothers in the house, see, men go through hell all around the people. And here I'm going through this, falling right in front there, utterly unaware of what's going on. But God is not unaware. He was watching. At that moment, he said, no. And I was free. The fear of the Lord is clean. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Amen. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in singleness of heart as unto Christ. Fear and trembling as unto Christ. Philippians 2.12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Colossians 3.22, servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Christ also was heard in that he feared. Now, where are we? What am I talking about? Do I mean we should go around in a kind of a, an attitude of fear? Well, not really. But I'm saying that the fear of God is like the very basic thing that undergirds everything. Fear of God and the love of God are really the same thing. The Bible says because God forgives men, they fear Him. That's a right thing. That's a good thing. In other words, we would say, well, He forgave me because He loved me, therefore I fear Him. That's a good fear. That's a clean fear. That's a delivering fear. That's a fear that allows you to go through suffering, all kinds of suffering if need be. If you say, only work this thing out of me, Lord. Let me be conformed to the image of your Son that all throughout eternity I may walk in that clean fear without fearing. Because most of my life I walk without any fear at all. And yet I know the fear of God is there. And I'm thankful that it's there. It's a good thing to be there. See? But now there's another kind of fear. And I'd like to talk to you and see how God deals with this. This found Job 15:20, The wicked man travaileth with pain all his days. Now we're talking about suffering again. And the number of years is hidden to the oppressor. A dreadful sound is in his ears. In prosperity the destroyer shall come upon him. He believeth not that he shall return out of darkness. And he is waited for of the sword. He wandereth abroad for bread, saying, Where is it? He knoweth that the day of darkness is ready at hand. Trouble and anguish shall make him afraid. They shall prevail against him as a king ready to the battle. For he stretcheth out his hand against God and strengthened himself against the Almighty. Terror shall make him afraid on every side and shall drive him to his feet. Now that's the fear of guilt. Now if you had a choice between the two, which would you choose? Well, anyone would say, well, one is clean. One preserves me. One keeps me. One, I want the fear of God. Yes, and that would be the conclusion that every saint of God on the face of the earth, once they understood it, would give you. That would be their conclusion. It would be their answer. 
And yet the fact is that just the reverse is true. Most Christians are under the burden of guilt. Most Christians are under the terrible burden of condemnation. Most Christians are afraid to come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. Every time they do practically, there's a giant repentance session going on. Oh, Lord, I feel that I failed you here. Lord, I just, oh, please help me. But if you do, I'll do better next time. I really will try. Every New Year's Eve when a watch night, sir, people get up and say, this year I just pray that God forgives me for all the ways I failed him. And this year I'm going to do much better. I pray to God for And all the time they know it's going to be business as usual the next day. Because something has worked cleverly in their minds. And the word is subtly. The Bible tells me in the Old Testament that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. And Satan entered that subtle beast. Didn't come out in the open and say, look, I'm the devil. And I'm against the purposes of God. And I want you to be against the purposes of God. I want you to commit sin. Now just eat of that tree and you'll fall and you will... Oh, no, 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 no. Nothing like that. No, he spent 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, however old you may be before you came to the Lord. And even after that, he kept right on working on you. And if you didn't have good teaching, he was able to work on you effectively. The Bible talks about in the last days, we are to take heed because men will give heed to what kind of spirits? seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now, let me talk about seducing. And I think it's important for you to understand what a seduction is. It must have certain elements in it. I suppose there is in a place a completely innocent seduction. But I think probably not. Seduction must have this quality. It must not be open. It must be carefully couched in terms that seems to be going this way when in truth it's going quite the opposite direction. It must seem to be promising blessing when the truth is it's going to destroy. It must seem to be promising eternal bliss when the truth is it will open the gates of hell. And there must be something on the other side of it, the person being seduced, must willingly give over to the seducer to listen to his lies when deep down inside they know it's not going to be that way at all. Sure, baby, I'll marry you. Sure, I'll give you. Sure, I will. Are you really telling me the truth? You know that I'm telling you the truth. When I tell you something, that all eternity is crying out inside of the person and saying, lie, 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 lie. And yet the person willingly gives over to it and says, well, he told me that I... But all the time inside we knew there was a voice out of hell. They will give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Once again, I say, will it be that the devil will come up and say, I'm a seducing spirit. My name is Joe Seducing Demon Smith. I come right out of hell... And I'm here to get you to go there. Get a little fire burns throughout eternity. I'm here. You know better than that. That isn't what a seducing spirit is. It's one that comes along and tells you something down inside you want to hear because it reaches into the lust which are warring in your own members. And it touches it and says you can have your cake and eat it too. You can do this and you won't get punished. You can eat of a tree and you won't die. It's okay. Just follow me. It'll be all right. Are you really telling me the truth? Would I lie to you? That's what it's talking about. And then though down inside, we know, we know, we know, we know, we know. We still say, well, I... And the gates of hell are open. And the person walks right into it. That's seducing spirit and doctrines of devils. What has happened to the church, and this is what began to dawn on me, and it threw my life into confusion, not that that's any deliverance for me, whatever. I must answer to God for what I have done, and you answer to God for what you have done. Because, well, I didn't know. I did know. 
But I heard that lion seducing spirit too. We have certain things we want. I heard my brother Harlan today talk about security. We want security. It's not altogether bad. Provided your security is the kind of security that God says is right for you to have. You know the only kind of security that's right for you to have according to God? God is the security. What is your life? It's even a little vapor that appears for a time and vanishes away. It doesn't matter whether you live six months or sixty years. It doesn't matter whether you minister for six months or six hundred years. As long as if you minister for six months, you give it everything you got. And I'd rather give it everything I had for six months than to flittle and flutle along for sixty years and at the end of the time have done nothing. John the Baptist ministered for six months and they threw him in jail. But Jesus said, of men born of women, there hath risen none greater than he. This was a man of God. Not a man, but a man of God. He feared God. And when that king stood up before him and said, now I tell you that I want to get rid of my wife and I want to marry my brother's wife. What do you say? You think he feared on the inside his flesh? I think it probably shook a little. I think he knew if God didn't deliver him, that king had the power to take his life. He could see the hatred that was in that woman. I forget her name now. Salome's mother. He could see the hatred that was there. He could feel the intense thing that was coming out of Herod. And yet there was a voice calling throughout all eternity, said, you speak it straight to him, you tell him where it is. And he said, I tell you, Herod, it is not lawful for you to have her. And from that moment on, there was only one thought in that woman's mind. I'll get his head on a platter. And that's what she did. God allowed that. And I'm going to tell you something. The Herods of this world are gone and nobody even knows what they did or cares. The intrigue and the seduction and the adultery and the harlotry that went on are gone and nobody cares. But throughout all eternity, what this man did because he said, it is not lawful for you to have her, it remains a testimony to the glory of God. He feared God rather than man. Now, the Bible says the fear of man bringeth a snare. Well, I want to read something here. Turn with me, please, in your Bibles. I think it would be good to follow me again now. Hebrews, the second chapter. I want to show you where we are as humans. Show you what's in our members warring against God. Ninth verse. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons into glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through... Say that word, it'd be good for you to get it out of your mouth. Sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again I will put my trust in him, and again behold I and the children which God hath given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood. Now notice this. This is the key here. He also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death, his death, he might destroy him, speaking of the devil, that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took upon him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be likened to his brethren, 
that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Now back, please, to the 15th verse. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The fear, the ultimate fear that possesses men, normal men, although the most normal man is a completely abnormal or subnormal man to what he could be and should be if he let Jesus possess his whole being. But his fear is the fear of death. One nation says to another, you do what we want you to do, or we will take this great army which we have built, and we will come in, and we will kill your men. We will rape your women. We will raise your cities to the ground. We will destroy you. Fear of death. The government says to its citizens, Obey the laws of the land, or if you disobey enough, we will kill you. We get up to 50, 60, 70. If we do not have it deeply rooted in our spirits, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, as this physical machine begins to lose its prowess, as our mind no longer can think with its full rapidity, whatever it could have done at one place, it cannot do that any longer. We do not hear as well or see as well, cannot digest our food as well, move as fast. We become maybe heavier or clumsier. Our joints become locked. We become, if we're not careful, fearful of old age and fearful of death. This is the time when disease can come. And that's the second fear, which is incipient death. If you do this, you will become sick and die. Fear. See, you must choose which fear you will be under. The fear of the Lord, which is clean, or the fear of Satan and the fear of death, which will bring you into bondage. Then there's the fear that we will be economically destroyed. As our brother Harlan talked about dirt, that our source of dirt will be taken away. Because that's what food is. It's dirt, isn't it? Sure, grows right up out of the ground. And then if you cut the plant off and lay it there, it just deteriorates and goes back down. But it's a type of dirt you can eat, and it'll keep your machine working for a time. Or we get a house, and what is it but dirt? It's made out of brick, which is dirt, or made out of trees, which are dirt. And we build our house, and that's it. But now we've got a funny-shaped piece of dirt, and that becomes security to us, see? That's right. And someone says, if you don't do this, we will take away your job, and then you will lose your, and you will... And a person says, I'll do what you say. Just don't fire me. Don't, don't. That's right. All their lifetime, bondage through the fear of death. And Satan works that on us just, if you don't do this, you will lose this love. If you don't do this, you will lose the respect of people. If you don't do this, they won't associate with you. If you don't do this, you will. And that fear is down deep inside of every human, and they need to be set free from it. Because as long as it's there, unless you're well-tuned to the voice of the fear of God, you'll be led to do the most atrocious things, and you'll do them in the name of Jesus. I've listened to the gospel change over the last 25 years. My background, like I say, is Pentecostal. I've seen Pentecostal people 25, 27, well, about 30 years now. I've seen them where, for the most part, they were lowly jobs, barely had enough to get by, would come and try and put a little bit of money in the offering, and they had big arguments about whether they should pay tithes or not, because they didn't believe in paying tithes. I thought, oh, that's not for me. We, we don't really believe in that. We're in the New Testament, not the Old Testament, so forth and so on. Had a big hassle over that. Not because they didn't believe in paying tithes, not really. The Bible doesn't talk about tithing anything. It talks about something far beyond tithing, something far greater than that. But never, they were arguing about it. You know why they were arguing about it? Because they barely had enough to get by, and they were scared stiff. They were afraid they couldn't eat. 
All of it designed to do one thing, to keep from dealing with that fear that was in the heart of people. And now they were getting money for the first time, some of those people, and they were beginning to run greedily after it. They were working super long hours. They were just getting the money in just like this. And so, and they say, I can't be to church this weekend, man. Uh, well, why not? Uh, oh, boy, you know, I work uh, seven days a week, and uh, uh, we've got a holiday this weekend. Man, I just got to go. I got to get some recreation. Man. I got to get away from here, see, because I'm just really, I'm really heavy in it, man. I just... Uh, well, can you be to this meeting? Well, I can't come this week because, see, I'm working 14 hours a day now and i got all these big payments and I... And then that poor old preacher would get up there to whatever he had left on Sunday and say, God wants us to live like kings on this earth, right? Ha, ha, ha. See, but those people didn't want that fear dealt with. And they were piling their way and piling their way and buying more things to surround themselves and say, See, see, God's blessing me, see that? And nobody had the guts to deal with it. No one had the guts to deal with it. No one had to say that that fear is not of God, that fear is of the devil. Your security is in God. Learn to open the valve of giving and give. That's the only kind of prosperity that means anything. Is that it gives you an opportunity to enter into that mighty ministry of giving that the gospel might be proclaimed throughout the earth, that the body may be one, that God may be glorified, that the love of God may be manifest upon the earth. But oh no, we built up a whole philosophy and here's the mechanism of fear, how it works. I want to keep this and this and this and this because I'm desperately afraid to let it go. I don't want to let this go because if it does, what would happen to me if they took my house? Where would I sleep? Where would I... David said, once I was young, he said, now I am old. He said, I have never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed baking bread. God will take care of you. But even if it came to the place like some in the New Testament, they were thrown in dungeons and starved to death. If you understand what I'm saying, what does it matter? No one could do that to you unless God permitted it to take place. Don't try to build your own security. It will seduce you. The Bible says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It will seduce you. Don't protect your fear. Get rid of your fear. That kind of fear is from hell. I fear... And then I... And then... We demand of our ministry. We will no longer endure sound doctrine, but heed to ourselves, teachers, having itching ears, and be turned away from the truth and turned unto fables. Don't tell me that I have to. Give me a preacher who will tell me. One of the greatest problems we've had in discipleship training of people is we're sometimes blunt with people. Sometimes we just tell them, brother, that's not right. Don't do that. Or a person says, I'm going to do this. Why don't you lay hands on me and give me your blessing? I say, you can go do it, but I'm not laying hands on you and giving you my blessing because it's not right. Oh, you're not showing love. You're judging me. I'm saying I can do only that thing which is clear within me. I cannot lay hands on you and bless you in this matter because what you do is evil. It's a, oh, brother... You know, the way Jesus dealt with people, all he did is he just, he never shook people up. Never did it. He was kind always, always generous to them, always just received people like they were, didn't try to change them. Just the sunshine of his love, was there it was, and people just changed. Phooey. Peter. Jesus, you're not going to go to the cross. You're going to stay here with me. Jesus. Right? Sunshine of his love. Paul writes a scripture. He says, one of their own prophets, that the Cretans are evil beasts, slow bellies. Timothy, exude love. You know what Paul said? How many of you know that scripture? How many of you don't know the scripture? How many of you are not sure you'd like me to tell you the scripture? He said, he's speaking out of these people, saints. He said, one of their own prophets said, the Cretans are always evil beasts, slow bellies. He says, this 
witness is true, wherefore rebuke them sharply that they may be strong in the faith. Paul said the Cretans are evil beasts and slow bellies. Well, he said, I didn't say that. I just said it was true. (laughs) Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You offend me. Oh, not part of it. He didn't say it that way. I know now what he said. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. You offend me. And Peter, just the love just oozed all over me. He said, oh, wonderful. Jesus said, if you continue in my words, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. I want to be free. I want to be free of the bondage of the fear of death. I want to be free of the bondage of losing my pile of rocks, which I have piled up over 50 years. i got quite a pile of rocks. Would you believe that? But I'm not afraid to lose it. Nothing. Junk. I tell you for sure, that's all it is. My security is in God. There are sometimes, however, the thought comes to me, what would you do if you lost this ministry? You're 50, and the reputation you've got, there'd be no church that would ever receive you again. And I want to tell you something, for whatever it's worth to you, I have to examine that on occasion. And inside I'm saying, is there something there which the devil could find in me? See, Jesus said, the prince of this world cometh and he findeth nothing in me. And I have to say, is there some little hook that he could... Because if there is, it could lead me right off to do something really weird. Now, I'm telling you, I'm telling you as beloved sons and daughters in the Lord, or as brothers and sisters, whichever way you want it to be, I'm telling you this. My work in this world is to disciple men and women. And it's to take those things which are in you, which can destroy you, which the devil can use to wreck your life, and to wreck the lives of others if he can get you to act improperly, and to help you to take you by the hand, get you into the Word, get you to see what it really says, You see, the problem with people today is what it's always been. They don't read the Word, they read books about the Word. Don't even... That's why sometimes the tapes, I have second thoughts about them, though I know much good is being done and it's right that they should continue and it's a glorious ministry and I thank God for it. This is being taped right now. Yet, the thing that I pray for is that men will just not listen to the tapes and say, okay, now we got the Word of God. I want them in the Word of God. That's why I try to tell people what I'm preaching is workable truth. It's approximate truth, but it's not absolute truth. This book is the absolute truth. Jesus, the one who ordered it written, is the absolute truth. The Eternal Father is the absolute truth. That's the only thing that's unchanging. And I want people into that. See? So we're here for what reason then? Am I here to preach nice sermons to you? Or am I here to act in such a way that I'll go away from this place and say, oh, that Jim Durkin, isn't he the sweetest guy in the world? He just exudes love and he just, every time he goes by, he pats you on the back and so forth and so on. When I go by a dog, I pat it on the back. But you better watch out. I may come by you and go like this. It's... A delight of my heart to hear some of my older brothers now say, Jim, we thank you for the times that you took us in your hand and you wailed the tar out of us. You turned us into men of God. That's what I want for every one of you. I want you to be free of the fear of the bondage of death. I want you to be free of the fear of this world. I want Satan to come to you and find nothing in you, no hinge, no hook, no place where he can get hold of you anymore. Because God has not given us the spirit of fear, that kind of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind, which is another way of saying the fear of God, which keeps us free. Would you bow your head with me in a word of prayer, please? I'll tell you the kind of prayer that I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that every one of you will be able to pray to God from the depths of your heart that you will be able to be baptized with the baptism that he's baptized with 
and drink of the cup that he drank. My prayer is that you will learn obedience by the things which you suffer, and you will gladly give your hand over to God, that you, he may lead you where he desires to lead you, that you may learn that obedience. That you may continue in his word and be his disciples indeed and come to know the truth so that you may be set free. I pray that you'll be set free in every area of your life. That you'll become a man or woman of the word of God. That you'll become a man or woman that is free of fear. That you'll become a man or woman that is free of the bondage of the fear of death and all those other fears that go with it. You won't be afraid to die. You won't be afraid of sickness. You won't be afraid of economic loss. You won't be afraid of losing houses and lands and brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers because you know that if you do, God will give you a hundredfold more in this world and in that which is to come life eternal. You'll gladly lay your life down because you know that trying to save it, you'll only lose it. But by losing it for His sake, you'll find it forever. And I'm going to pray that you enter into that. I'm going to pray that God deliver you of that fear of this world and the fear of man and the fear of death and implant in its place a voice that clearly hears God's voice through eternity, the fear of God that makes us free. Blessed Father, I pray this morning for these precious saints. The Lord now are many of them seriously pressing into the kingdom and Lord, you said the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Lord, it's time that we lay aside our preconceived notions and our carefully built-up philosophies by which we're able to maintain our wrong attitudes and make us think they're right attitudes, by which we can call black white and white black. Oh, God, give us eyes to see that we may speak the truth and know the truth and hear the truth and live the truth. Lord, that our hearts are intent upon the fear of God. That our hearts are intent to know you, Lord. That our hearts desire with all of our being to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That we desire only to do your will in this earth, to carry out your purpose, to finish your work, see your name glorified. Oh, Lord, I pray that whatever habits we develop and whatever traits we have that are based on fear, our foolish angers as we try to defend our untenable positions. Oh, God, that we lay all of those things aside and say, Lord, instruct me. Help me to submit to those men of God which you sent to teach us. Lord, let them take us by the hand and lead us. Let us be guided into the paths of eternal life. Oh, God, that's my prayer for these beloved saints. And I ask that, Father... In Jesus' precious name. Now I've got one passage of Scripture. I want to read to you out of Philip's, and then I'm going to send you to your places. This is found in the book of James, and it's speaking of the difference between godly wisdom and earthly wisdom, or worldly or satanic wisdom. It says, Are there some wise and understanding men among you? Then your lives will be an example of the humility that is born of true wisdom. But if your heart is full of rivalry and bitter jealousy, then do not boast of your wisdom. Don't deny the truth that you must recognize in your inmost heart. You may acquire a certain superficial wisdom, but it does not come from God. It comes from this world, from your own lower nature, even from the devil. For wherever you find jealousy, see, that's a kind of fear, and rivalry, that's a fear, you also find disharmony in all other kinds of evil. The wisdom that comes from God is first utterly pure, then peace-loving, gentle, approachable, full of tolerant thoughts and kindly actions with no breath of favoritism or hint of hypocrisy, and the wise are peacemakers who go on quietly sowing for a harvest of righteousness in other people, and in themselves. But I tell you this, wherever you hear this kind of thing going on, I know this thing is going, I know what's happening, I know it. My prayer for you is that you become those kind of wise men and women that open your heart up to the Word of God and say, Teach me thy Word, O God. Let me walk in your ways. 
and you realize your real warfare is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, and spiritual forces of darkness that rule in the heavenly places, that's your warfare. And for that, you put on the whole armor of God, and you don't get entangled with the affairs of this life, just that life. Amen? Then I'd like you to stand with me, please. I'd like you to reach out and take each other's hands. Father, we stand before you as one body of believers, right now surrounded by and wrapped in your love, and we know what it is to experience that, Lord. And we know we can experience that, Lord, only in direct proportion as we submit ourselves to you. Lord, that love is ever toward us. But, Father, we cut ourselves off from it so many times by allowing ourselves to be conformed to this world and to act according to the dictates and tenets of this world. But, oh God, I pray that that no longer be in any of our hearts, but there be that complete surrender of the heart and the mind and the will and the whole being. Lord, that we no longer try to support the unsupportable positions. Lord, we search your word for the truth and we walk in that truth. We no longer, Lord, are taken up with the ideas of this world where we walk in the, the light of our own knowledge and understanding, which is not our own, but it's been carefully put in our minds, Lord, we know by the devil. But, Lord, we read your truth and we practice your truth. Lord, that will be our way of living. We'll walk no other way than that, Lord. Now I pray that you dismiss us with your blessing. Lord, let us give pause to think about that which we have heard. So, Lord, let it be brought to pass in our lives that you may be glorified thereby. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.